Welcome to Business and Investing with Grant and Charlie, where we are enhancing your complete set of skills to build wealth inside and outside your business. Today, we're going to be talking about some of the biggest lessons in investing in 2022. Obviously, Charlie's going to keep referring to myself and everything that I've done. But if you want to learn everything that we're doing as well, join the newsletter. Head over to businessandinvesting.com forward slash newsletter. Put in your details so you can actually learn what else we're investing in, what we're doing, what what we're all about. But before I screw this up, Charlie, let's cue your disclaimer. It's Charlie here from Business and Investing, and I need to let you know that Grant, myself, and the Business and Investing team are in no way, shape, or form qualified to give you personal or specific financial advice. We strongly encourage you seek out and use professionals when you are making investment decisions or comparing investment products. There's a bit of seriousness in the air around this episode, right? You can feel it? I can feel it. How did you um, approach the research for this episode? I want to start with. Like like when you're going through the year and just basically looking at the lessons learned, you're really going, oh, where did did I embrace challenge, right? Where did I embrace challenge? I tend to learn via pain. (laughs) I was... Yes, it was funny because it was like, what was the root cause of all of these? It was like self-inflicted pain. (laughs) Where was the thing that I changed because it didn't result in the outcome I wanted? At the time, it was a good idea, but in hindsight, it was a terrible idea. Like it was outrageous. One of the mindsets I love to adapt is that everything's on the way, not in the way. Okay, and it's like you may think that, you know, you're going to start investing and it's just this straight line to uh, riches and wealth. But the reality is, much like business, there's going to be some ups and downs. You're likely to lose some money at some point, have some unexpected wins at some point. But nonetheless, the lessons, I feel, are the things that build us. Um, what's that saying? It's like um, a, a boat in the harbour is safe, but it's not what they're built for. <laughs> that's that's a, I like that one. I do like I was, that I was gonna go with the Keith. I was going to go with the Keith Cunningham of like all of my good ideas started out with, what was it? Wow. Hey, I'm just checking. You've you got to go to the shops later because you butchered that. <laughs> Dude, I'm like, I have to have things written down. I'm not a off the cuff going, what's the quote? No, I've, I've tried to stop doing Keith quotes because I do so many of them. So it's like uh, all my problems started out as a good idea is the quote. That was it. All my good ideas started out as a problem. That's where I was going with it. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. every investment I've taken that has uh, represented challenge after it or an expensive lesson learned, I've been enthusiastic as shit getting into it and excited. <laughs> and then I get really enthusiastic to get out of it. <laughs> it's like it's just as fast as it's running in. I'm getting out. How good is the feeling, right? I will say this is almost as enjoyable as getting a really big win when it comes to investing. When you've uh, gotten into an investment and then it doesn't go well or something uh, adverse happens and then you manage to get out at break even, like how yep. it's like, oh, dodged a bullet on that one. <laughs> I love it. Like, and you just ignore the amount of time and effort and money you spend on the thing. You're just like, oh. Yeah, time is of no equation here. It's just numerical value coming back. Yeah, 50 cents lost per hour. Like, it's like, oh, whatever. At least, at least I came out unscathed. All right, so let, let's dig into it. So this episode itself, what we're going to be doing is sharing our three biggest lessons each when it comes to investing. I will say it was an enjoyable episode to prep for because I, uh, particularly this year, really feel like I grew as an investor. And it's only through 
the lessons that hopefully people will be able to relate to and bring into their own that we get that growth. Like I only got better in business through pain and agony and eating glass in all honesty. It was the challenge that makes us. So Grant, on that notion, your first lesson. All right. So the lesson in summary is only invest in assets that you know and understand. So this, uh, this, this kind of hit home, Charlie, with it might be related to like some crypto investments. <laughs> that I'm just like, so I understand a decent amount of, with tech. Like I'm, I'm pretty good with tech and I understand like layer ones and layer twos when it comes to crypto and things like that. There are some things around utility and there are some things about what's a good one, what's a bad one and how does this apply to the real world that I'm not that aware of. <laughs> and so uh, I still went in with, I don't know, the speculation that it could go well, which it didn't go well. And I probably lost 80% of the value that I had sitting in there. However, I put it down as a, I can't sort of suck about it. I just have to kind of suck eggs because it was something that I mildly knew, like probably better than most people who get into crypto. I knew probably more than them, but I still didn't fundamentally understand how it was used, what I was investing in. It was, I just treated them all the same. If it was crypto, it was a crypto. It didn't really matter. And hence why some worked out horrifically and others worked out not as horrifically, but still bad. And so that was my main lesson, which was only invest in assets, you know, what I understand. Which I believe is a Warren Buffett quote um, as well, while we're on quoting things in this episode. Do you know what I find so interesting about this being your first um, lesson learned here? I would say you are the person in my life that understands, in this case, crypto the most. And your huge amount of tech experience also, I suppose, transferred over well. So for you to be comfortable in, uh, in building a SaaS business, you're building something invisible on the interwebs where it's like this kind of crypto thing shared that same thing. And I would almost say because your SaaS background worked out so well and has been such a strength, I can see how the allure of this being another huge win for you could work. At what point did you – what highlighted you didn't understand it as well as you thought you did? <laughs> when – yeah, when the price of things were dropping and I had no idea why. So usually you can under, you can put together a narrative, right? Like recently, like Meta shares or Facebook shares have dropped and there's a narrative that you can sort of understand around it. Okay, cool, you're trying to invest in the metaverse, doesn't have crazy utility, so we'll, we will show you a price reflective of our speculation. These things had none of the such. It was just, okay, someone's account, some big, account got hacked and so now all prices tanked because people just aren't confident about it and you, but it just hits everything it was these stories that i was trying to understand why particular coins or particular things weren't increasing compared to other things or decreasing when other things were decreasing less and me just going this is just uh, so many people just getting in and getting out on things that i just have no awareness of and That's so such for a me, good distinction like, such a good yeah. distinction it's like if you have a SaaS company it's like oh they got a contract with amazon i can work out why that went up Cool. Well, hey, that has lost a big client. I can work out why this went down, where it's like you had no ability to connect, I suppose, activities and narrative with price action. Totally. And so the challenge that I continue to sort of think about on this one, which was a huge lesson, is, you know, when you start diving into a business, right, like making, I don't know, having an online business or selling online services, right, and you go, great, I could come out with another business and it would be successful, and as long as it's kind of related to that thing, it should be pretty good. But then if you try to open, I know you used the example previously around like opening a restaurant, 
like the skills don't transfer as much. And so for me, I thought it was so close to my technical background that I could understand it. And in my mind, I could connect the utilities of where it could get to, whether or not it's there now, is well, it's definitely not there now, is why I thought it was so closely entwined. However, I've learned that in this example, it was, it was a huge jump because it's a completely different utility. It's a completely different piece of technology that just does not follow the same narrative as something else. And so I looked at this going, I thought they were closer aligned, but they definitely weren't. <laughs> And so, yes, oh, hence me realigning myself on this lesson of just going, yep, cool. I just need to understand it more and know it more before I dive into it. You have to give crypto the PR award, right? It's uh, They did an excellent job of storytelling and selling the future. What have you changed since? Uh, so I – uh, funnily enough, I should exit all my positions, but now it's just there because I'm a tech guy. I kind of want the reason to follow it. I feel like right if I sold. <laughs> right or die. No, I feel like if I sold everything now, like it's it went up and then it sort of went down to where it is now and I'm just like, you know what, I'll just, I'll just be in the journey on this one. Like I could have made more money if I sort of knew where the market was going, all those kind of things. But instead of me just selling out and saying good, good riddance to it, I'm like, cool, I'll still be there. I'll keep it across the news and I'll see where this thing lands. Um, but would I put more money into it? Probably not. Would I uh, – no, I'll rewind on that. I potentially would, but holy smokes, would I do a lot of research and understanding before I ever got into it. Like I'd have to know that this utility, so for example, the transactions or whatever they're trying to use on their layer has got a use in the real world, not in 10 years in the future, <laughs> right? Like it does it have real world utility today that will continue to grow. If yes, I'll look, I'll seek to understand more as opposed to maybe it's like a solution looking for a problem as opposed to a problem needs this solution. So that's how I've, that's how I've changed is I'm, I'm not putting more money in. I'm not looking to try and change coins or do anything like that. It's just going to sit there. If it goes to nothing, it goes to nothing. If it grows, it grows. It's more great. I, I love tech and this is a good excuse for me to look. Can I ask a question around this? It's not directly related to your lesson here, but I think it's still um, an interesting one. You've got the whole understanding piece, right, which I look at there. Do you feel like the influence of famous people and well-respected people in business and their investments into this area formed um, more belief? So, for example, I'm not naming this person specifically because of there, but it's like Elon Musk being such an advocate on Twitter. Did that kind of lull you into, well, I don't need to understand this as much because well, Elon's in. I totally. He understands yeah. it. <laughs> Plus, like, I'm so biased to and. It should have been another lesson. It was like, just know your own personal biases, right? Like I'm so biased to tech and because I'm a big believer of globalization. I reckon everyone around the world should get a job because of technology. But in addition to that, I think that machine learning and artificial intelligence will ensure enhance the way that we live, which is going to be awesome. So I look at a lot of these solutions that come out and my brain will connect it to problems that exist and go, yeah, that could totally solve these problems. This is, this is the thing. So when, to your point, these big personalities in the tech space start diving into metaverses, start diving into um, blockchain technologies, like all of these uh, two-sided ledgers and things, in my mind, I'm like, yeah, they're seeing this next trend and they're going to start betting the house on it. I need to understand at least what they're looking to bet the house on because that is something that is probably going to impact the investments that I've got in business. 
but also it means that I can be on the forefront, be aware of it as it's happening instead of a year, two years later going, eh, I should probably jump on that. <laughs> I wish I kind of knew where that was going because if it does have a utility in any of the businesses I'm across and I ignore it, I'm just being negligible um, outside of then me just going, oh, the people are doing the thing. People in tech or who had success on the internet, I feel like were vulnerable to the crypto. Oh, uh, yeah. Dude, we'll pray. It, it was, yeah. Oh, and I don't apologize for it. <laughs> I don't apologize. I, I'm fine with it. Yeah, because we all got success by being contrarians on the internet, right? It's all like we got on the internet early and it's like the internet's going to take over the world. And it did. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like <laughs> the, to feel the that crypto was the next thing. I get it. And it might still be, but it's like what an interesting lesson uh, this has come back to being around about that depth of understanding when making investments. I really do. Totally. And not just speculation, like knowing and understanding. Like, can I use the thing? I feel like you might have learned the difference between investing and speculating <laughs> a little bit. Just, no, I'll just leave that one there. Maybe that was the lesson. <laughs> Maybe there are so many like little sub lessons that like spin off this one. I had to put an umbrella, an umbrella in because there was just so much of it there. Yours, go on, hit us with the best shot. All right, all the forecasters and people predicting what the market is going to do. I'm guessing. Shots fired. Shots fired. (laughs) I'm going to go as far to say is that they are full of shit. (laughs) Hang on. Is this because they don't have the investments themselves or is this because they like the airtime? Why do you think they're full of shit? What what is this coming from? Yeah, so um, something I really had to look deeply at under the hood of myself is there was a lot of people out there making predictions and I was treating them as fact. So someone comes out, and I'm, I'm not going to name any one uh, source here because it's all of them, but they would come out and go, okay, well, this is what we think is going to happen in the next 12 months. And like think is the key word there. It's not this is we are certain on what's going to happen in the next 12 months. And do you know what? I will fire a shot. The RBA <laughs> is not going to ra- uh, raise interest rates until 2024. Yep. They came out and said that, and this is a government institution highly respected source of truth and I would take on these things as fact. And I really recognize that that is a fallacy. Like they're all Mm. crystal balling and it doesn't matter if it's the RBA, governments, the banks, the big banks was another one, commentators and people in the media, all of these people making these um, guesses, you have to be so incredibly careful what you're taking on as fact because economics and the economies. And how market work markets work is just so heavily complicated that there only has to be one little thing we don't understand and the, and the world can change in a huge way. And, and it did. So for uh, me, it's really doing a better job of filtering information and separating the idea of what is fact versus what is an opinion. The, you know, the thing that challenged me quite a lot was that if you make enough predictions at some point, something's going to be right. And then they tout that one time that they were right. <laughs> Like over and over again, which is like now, now you need to listen to me because last five times ago I was right, just ignored the last four, and I'm going to go right again. And so that, that's caught me out as well because I'm looking for this bias of, well, they must know something more than me because at some point they got it right. The other ones, there were ex- reasons why they didn't get it right because things changed. And so even I've caught myself out on this. This is, this is a great one. But it's not – the challenge that I've had was the balancing between – picking out the things that they say that have reason or uh, have some kind of insight to it and then like cutting out their opinion. It's like that is a very valid 
reference or piece of data, you might have interpreted it to suit your narrative or you might have interpreted it because you don't understand what it's got. Like there are other things that I've used of just going, okay, cool, thanks for that help. I'll put put it into my own brain and start making it work. Is that sort of where you kind of felt? Like was there anything that you applied on top of this? Like did you stop consuming it? Did you just sort of interpret what they were saying slightly differently? Yeah, so I'll use an example here. So let's stick with the RBA one because I think they're unlikely to listen to this show, but I hope Rob Lowe does tune in. He could use my help. Hey, Rob, uh, low way. So, for example, he suggested that rates wouldn't go up till 2024. That's an opinion, right? But then the government says 200,000 people coming into the country. That's a fact. Like they've got plans and measures to take that in place. So I think you have to be really careful of separating the two. Because it's Mm. very, very easy to confuse that into one narrative. See, but one is an opinion and one is, and again, there could be things that happen where that may or may not happen with the population growth. But when you get a policy like that with what you see around the world, well, that's something you can form better views on. So that's not guessing in the same light. So you've got to really be able to define those ones from there. Another one is like uh, building approvals. So if building approvals aren't happening, houses aren't getting built. So in this example, and this is not financial advice, or I'm not even saying this is true because I don't know if these things are going to happen. This is speculation, opinion, right? Lesson from here. If 200,000 people are coming into the country and building approvals are are down, they're not building houses at a rate they should be to support that, and we already have an undersupply of housing, well, that's now something you can build a better investment thesis around if you're potentially interested in property, not for everyone, not for financial advice, but yep. building a, a thesis around rates aren't going to go up and we think, you know, this hotspot is going to be the next thing, o- opinions. Totally. So incredibly dangerous. So I obviously got burnt a little bit on here, but I will say I also got lucky because I was potentially gearing up to make some more weighted investments and um, only through being delayed through having to refinance and doing other things is we didn't end up laying it on as hard as I would have. So incredibly powerful to learn in that way. And I uh, will reference that one of the resources that helped me the most in this was Howard Marks. So Howard Mm -hmm. Marks is, um, his investing thesis is not to make predictions, but to play the the environment based on what it is. And uh, there's some fantastic uh, resources online from him. I think it's called The Most Important Thing. Is that the name of the book? I think it is. I think I think it's the most important thing. Yeah, but it was reading that in conjunction to like what was happening with uh, my own year in investing really summed it up for me and like that's where I'm going to be really like what's changed to me is that's what I'm bringing into my investments today. So when we're looking at something, what is fact, what is opinion, layering that in on the environment today to make a better decision around that. So powerful upgrade for me, I feel. I've actually found it so interesting. People like Howard Marks, when people, when others interview him he, and they say, well, what do you think is going to happen? Like the first sentence he says is like, like I just don't forecast. Like he's like, I just don't know what's going to happen. He's like, so it's pointless me saying anything because people might make decisions on it. And he's like, but this is what I can see right now. And that, that was so profound. It was like, why? And through what you've just shared, like it's so obvious. Why? It's just, Give me the facts as to right now because that's the best way I can make a decision. If anyone wants to dig deeper into this, I'd encourage you to uh, some excellent YouTube videos on the bank forecasts. So if you would like to see what the big four banks have predicted through interest rates, property prices over like the last 10 years, 
and to see how accurate they have been is disturbing. I don't even know why they spend money on economists or employ people to make these predictions. I'm like, I, I think you and me could do a better job just like winging it based on rolling <laughs> a set of dice. <laughs> I remember looking at that. I don't even think there was a time that it was even mildly like right. At least like things weren't changing. It was just like, well, things just aren't changing. Yeah, but <laughs> how do you put a pandemic into a, uh, you know, forecasting model? Oh, we, we think that a pandemic is going to happen <laughs> and this is what's going to happen with prices. And just as easily, you could make the assessment, well, if a pandemic is happening, half the population is going to get wiped out and then there's going to be a massive oversupply of housing. It's all going to crash. And totally. So, totally. again, it's just like how do you uh, – it's incredibly complex – I can't work out why people would get into predicting or crystal balling these things as a career. Um, I, I love um, this idea of like, you know, then there's a joke around it. So it's like, why do economists I- exist, Grant? <laughs> this is going to be terrible. Why? Why do they exist? To make fortune tellers look reasonable. <laughs> <laughs> You've got a better hey, chance or- of getting your forecast out of a set of tarot cards than you do out of an economist. And I, I stand by that. I don't know if that's ragging on the economists or giving kudos to the fortune tellers. <laughs> no, I will say I've had some interesting experiences, I, but we'll leave that for another episode. We might do, we might do a whole episode on when Charlie went woo, and uh, I'll share some insights I had in that experience. Nonetheless, let's kick Charlie. it over. Lesson two. We're supposed to be running through these, and we're two lessons in. Yeah, but so no one's going to hear it. Pick we're up really the pace about the pandemic. It's, this thing's got no reach. Pandemic's been mentioned. So it's just, it's just us from here on out, Charlie. <laughs> so, all right, so my number two was- Wait, should uh, we say Ukraine and Russia quickly as well? Just oh, to really yeah, it's like no one's gonna, tank it. No one's going to see it. <laughs> uh, my number two was uh, keep up with changes in all markets. And I should say like the most important markets, not just the one that you think is important. Um, th- this was an interesting thing, uh, Charlie, you and I have been to a couple of events and we went to this property event um, and it was actually interesting talking to people who have done the thing, right? Got multi-millions in property, multi-millions in debt. And like, what, I'm like, what do they look at? What are they really sort of focusing in on? Um, and people that you and I probably know exactly what I'm talking about. Um, but looking at that, they care a lot about other macro factors that just aren't properties. Like they're not just like, oh, what's the next town that's available or the, that's got the data that supports that it might grow soon, they were looking at the macro, what's happening in the share markets, what's happening in business, what's happening in debt, what is the government doing for GDP growth? What, what are all of these other macro things or even um, immigration, to your point, that might have an impact to property? And it's not saying that all of it will. They're just looking at, cool, what's all the data, what's available, what's happening and then I will interpret that back into the game that I'm playing because they're so interconnected. The government has so much impact to property. Share market has impact to property. Where people put money and how they spend their money impacts property prices. And so it was more them not just looking at property and having this huge property bias. It was like what else exists that can actually influence this, whether it will or not. It's more just a, a, a reference point. So I actually found it quite interesting where the more successful investors got, the, it seemed, and it seems like it's fact, the more aware they are of other markets and trends that are happening at that time, whether or not it hits their property portfolio. It's just their, their awareness is so much greater. Yeah, so I've actually noticed the same, and I've tried to understand the 
why or rationale behind it because the whole idea of let's say you're, you're deeply into property and just understanding property would be you know hugely beneficial the more you understand it the better you're able to do with it like you you know if you're going to kick a soccer ball and you want to get better at that focus on getting better at kicking a soccer ball uh, yep. you don't go wide to develop that skill necessarily but um the idea behind it do you have a thesis as to why this be- has become so important to them i think it's it's more that and uh, this is go. This goes on to my third point, but I see it more from a risk mitigation perspective. So they have built the thing where, like, here you go. So a lot of other people are sort of building the investment, right? Which means for them, it's more: how do I know what asset to buy between crypto property and others, right? And so they're more looking at what asset and then start accumulating that asset where these other people have built the thing, and they're now going, "What's going to impact this thing? What could make this thing crumble?" what peaks and troughs could be coming that I really need to be aware of. And the peaks and troughs are not that one suburb that they weren't in is now taking off and they should have been there. No, the peaks and troughs are, well, now their debt, which is in the millions, has increased by a percent, which means their cash flow is now impacted. And so it's more their awareness of other things that could impact what they have. And so it's less about sort of the smaller things and doing the thing cor- better or correctly. It's more about, well, hang on, there's so many other things that are now going to impact me, uh, which could be headwinds, tailwinds. I just need to be aware of them in order to be more prudent with what I'm doing. And so what I think it's changed? more them as an investor. What have you changed since, I suppose, becoming aware of this lesson? <laughs> the, the amount of news that I've consumed. So I – I was like, what, what do I call it? Like the Tim Ferriss baby. So when Tim Ferriss came out with like four hour work week, it's like, that's it. I'm never watching any news ever again. Uh, Free to air TV is dead to me. And so I like, I just stopped consuming things and I'm like, I had no awareness of global things that were happening. Uh, and so it really changed this year as I was talking to more people that were like, Oh, have you seen what's happened in the U S with inflation? And I'm like, kind of, but no, Oh, have you seen that this market or this industry has boomed, which was like uh, the utilities, electricity market? I'm like, no. And I'm, but then in my mind, it was like, but why? <laughs> why do you care about these things? Um, so, Charlie, I know you and I spoke about it quite a lot. Um, there are other people who do some awesome sort of YouTube channels that started talking about these things. And the question that I kept having was like, why? And then where are they getting the information? And so then obviously they got the information via news websites and Twitter and all these other things, which now I've just bookmarked. And so each day or every second day, I'll go and check out and go, is there anything else that I should be aware of? And then I share it and they share back and it's kind of been the the thing that has helped. So that's been more my change has been how I've consumed and what I've consumed. I also say it's been nice to uh, see you grow in this area. Like, you know, your way around the VIX now. You probably put on a (laughs) a put or a, uh, you know. Covered call. I do like we'll I do like the VIX. Every time people like talk about VIX, I'm like, ah, I know exactly what you're talking about now. Um, so it's been this, yeah, it actually has been like a huge bit of growth, but I've actually seen myself um yeah, being more aware of headwinds and tailwinds before they've actually happened. Like before like you and I, Charlie, will talk about things before like Facebook groups and Twitter and stuff will start talking about it. Like before the investors will start talking about it, you and I would have talked about it previously. And that's just been the ability to sort of see things across different markets and in just kind of opinions if they're going to impact it or not. All right. Ready for my next lesson? Dude, I'm dead set ready. All right. So it ties in nicely to this one. So building wealth and keeping wealth, two different things. (laughs) Who would have thunk? 
isn't it? Don't you find it fascinating when you say these things and then just looking back and you're going, ah, that's so, so obvious. <laughs> I'm like, oh, no. Yeah. Well, I would throw in another one here is, you know, when people say like money can't buy happiness, yep. but I want to check. I definitely want to check. I want to know <laughs> for sure. For sure. And I will concur, that's actually true as well because I have been able to well, effectively buy my financial freedom and yep. without doing the work around that, I can see why that statement comes out. But, of course, everyone listening to this is like, you asshole. But don't worry, you can check too. There's plenty for everyone. Um, <laughs> now, bringing this more to the point is like I had definitely heard the building wealth and keeping wealth are uh, two different things, but I hadn't gone through an experience of actually having to deal with it. So to this point, this year I had, because of the success we've had in property and business, I have accumulated a reasonable amount of wealth now, which is fantastic. I, I'm thrilled to have done that. But the other side of things, because of the nature of this year, when there's been all this turbulence and challenge and change, there's things we've had to do and look at to keeping it. So totally. for, like, and I just think that going through that is a very, very different thing than actually like knowing that. And as people accumulate more, they're going to start becoming more to your point of what you said earlier is like once they've built something, you start paying attention to these other things that you go, well, what could impact me or where am I vulnerable? Because you like where you're at in life and you want to stick with it. So for me, one of the things that you kind of mentioned earlier is like I am fairly in tune to what's happening around the world so I can be ahead of anything if it does concur. I think yeah. that's a hugely important thing. And then the second part of that is thinking about diversification. If mm. we are all too heavy in one asset and things were to change is like the risk to me is immense. Like imagine the idea of having 90% of your wealth in Bitcoin and doing a Michael Saylor. Right? Totally. How vulnerable he is. Like I don't know. I have to give that guy credit. How he sleeps and shows up and speaks with going through that type of volatility, I've got no idea how he does it. But it's like at the same time, I have increasingly uh, appreciated what it means to develop the skills of keeping wealth, not just, uh, I suppose, building it. I think like to, to riff on this point, one thing for me personally is you and I sort of consume a lot of content. We talk about how we interpret uh, the content. And the thing that I see most interestingly enough is – the way that I separate out mature investors from sort of younger investors, not by age, obviously, by sort of doing the thing I'll say, is the amount that the mature people talk about keeping their wealth and not sort of playing like playing the long-term game. It's like, well, it doesn't matter if it goes up or down. It's like I'm going for the thing. Like how do I make sure that I can keep what I have and then add to it? Where sort of the people who are sort of starting their journey out, it's more about like build, 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 build. And as I'm consuming like the content that they're putting out, my brain is now naturally filtering out where I expect them to be on the investment curve. I'm like, oh, good. Now you, I know that you've got $10 million in property now. That's why you're saying let's focus on keeping it <laughs> and let's go slow. Like, let's make sure it doesn't disappear. But then someone else is like, bye, 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 bye. And I'm like, I now understand where you're at on the journey because if you've got $10 million property, you're not going to lever up like that. Yeah, the debt thing is a really interesting one. Do, do you know what came to mind when I was uh, reflecting on this point? It's the same in business. Like think of yeah. how you behaved when you were a startup in your first couple of years. Do yeah. you really behave like that today? No, like no, it's a completely – like the identity of who you are as a business owner changes. 
And I think the identity of who you are changes when it comes to wealth as well. Like as you cross thresholds and get to certain levels, like your identity and uh, and I use the word identity because that's at the core what I think changes. Mm-hmm. Just like in business. Like it's really, really similar to a business, which I guess is the whole thesis around why we did this show in the beginning anyway is like, you know, wealth building is a business. And I totally. feel like I've uh, kind of matured at a different level um, through this. All right. That was a nice quick one. See, I'm picking up the pace here, so I don't record forever good. here, Grant. Your next lesson. <laughs> you kind of touched on my third one. <laughs> so the third lesson that I had was stages of investments. And just I pause right there. Like I didn't read yours because I wanted to be surprised. And I feel like I've just ripped one of yours off. We're meant to be professionals here. I feel like no, we've really just lowered the standard of the show. Do you want to? Wah, I think wah. mine's on the sheet. You can read out my next one right now. <laughs> so you've no. you got it there. No, right. no, I'm stages gonna, of I'm investments. Gonna, take it through me. Let's do this. I'm going to continue on this one. All right. So stages of investments. Uh, and the best way that I can explain this was when I first started out investing, uh, I thought more about like, cool, like more is more, like more is a better thing. Like, And obviously one of my previous lessons was like, oh, well, it's not just the case and you kind of touched on it. Um, and so for me, when this epiphany happened and there is one person I'm going to credit to this of realizing that there is a foundational stage of investing and then there is like a, an accumulation stage and then there is like an optimal optimization stage and then there's like this, I don't know, we'll call it evaluation stage of what do you do next? Where do you go? Do you diversify? Do you get more of the thing, et cetera? And thinking of it as stages, not trying to time the market, but just going, I am in this stage and I'm moving to this other stage has been one of the greatest lessons for me because I've been able to put myself in a spot of where I am in my investment journey and saying, I'm at the accumulation phase, which means the thing that I'm focusing in on is generating cash from the business and investing that into property in this example because I've got business investments elsewhere. That is what I'm playing at. Then once I'm happy with what I've accumulated, I will stop for a bit, I will optimize, I'll reevaluate, and I'll decide what I do next, just like it's, in a business. Is this the equivalent of like the scaling up thing? Like you got that exactly. curve? Exactly. Yeah, exactly. I, f- I f- feel that was where you were leaning towards, and I um I concur. This is just another one of those things how it relates over. And you know who I'm going to credit with this one, Charlie? Who? You. So you and I talk a lot about. <laughs> I was expecting business. you to say someone else. How funny! <laughs> I'm like, where do no, we learn no. this from? Because we share resources all the time. I'm like, I haven't actually heard anyone reference this. Well, so when we went away to Dromana together and we were talking about like how should we think about this and how do we think about this and uh, what do I think about the equity that I have in the businesses that I have? What do I think about my property investments that I have? What you've got in business, what you think about with your property and the different stages we're at. And I'm like, we play these in stages. I was like, how do we get the thing? How do we optimize the thing? How do And what do we do next? And you and I have been on walks where we're talking about what is the next best diversification? What is the next best play if, if debt goes rampant. And it was these conversations where you and I started putting them in boxes of going, well, if you're just building wealth, like if you're just buying assets, buy fucking assets. <laughs> like don't stop trying to figure out how do I play the dead game or, or how do I do all these other things? Just accumulate the thing, play it the way that you want to play it and just recognize that is the stage you're at. And then when you get to the next stage, figure that stage out. Don't try and be an optimization, evaluation and accumulation all at the same point. 
but don't try and accumulate if you're still building a foundation. <laughs> like those things that we keep talking about and a lot of people who are in the Facebook group and talk to us um, has really sort of solidified it for me. It's just like, as uh, Hormozy was saying, it's just a season of business. It's the season of investing. It is like now I'm trying to go from zero to five million in property, for example, then I'll evaluate, then I'll continue on, like optimize and evaluate and continue on. Like those were a massive lesson on roughly the stages. And then it's just personal preference of what does each stage mean from a dollar amount or a cash flow amount or a debt amount or whatever it is. It's all dependent upon the individual, the asset and all those things. So it was a huge lesson for me, massive. Yeah, I want to use an analogy on life for this one, if I can, to solidify it. I, w- I want you to imagine like you're in primary school, maybe you're in grade three, and then uh, you get enrolled into, let's say, VCE, which is specialist maths VCE, <laughs> right? The, the hardest of the hard, the, the high school game of VCE. Can you see how difficult it would be for that grade three kid to compete in that arena? Totally. It's yeah, and I, I look at it and go in biz- and like I see this all the time, and I really hope people um, do this. It's like they haven't got their business set up to a place where they can consistently produce a good amount of cash to invest, and then they make an investment. Maybe they have a good month and they make an investment, and what ends up happening is they strangle their business, and then don't actually end up putting enough into the investments, and they lose it both. They actually totally. like yeah, well, you kind of got to graduate from primary school before you can go to high school. And you sure enough want to go through the grades and do well in maths right up through seven till 10 if you're going to do specialist maths in your VCE. Like you have to go through the stages. You can't just like suddenly skip. And um, it was a huge, huge thing for me to see in my own behaviors as well. Because you notice, uh, this was the other thing I really noticed, how many uh, people that I looked at in their 50s and 60s who haven't done the foundation who then start taking on massive amounts of risk in investing because they're so close to retirement. So totally. because they didn't build anything in their 30s and 40s, they're 55, <sighs> suddenly this mining town investment looks really attractive. <laughs> <laughs> Correct. And to, to that point, so even for myself, and I'll fall on my sword here, so I found business foundations are fantastic I started accumulating and then I kind of stopped and then started listening to a whole heap of people who have got a large amount in property who are all trying to protect it. And I'm like, well, maybe I should protect mine too, Charlie. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, wait, no, I'm in accumulation stage. Like why am I trying to apply their strategies? Because they have things that impact them that don't impact me because of just the different stages we are in investing. It helps me interpret what other people were saying. It's not that what they were saying was wrong. It's just different application, whether it's applicable to me or not. Yeah, the opportunity, right? I will just say, you go to that advanced investor, let me help you take some of that risk off your plate. I'll buy one of those properties off you. (laughs) (laughs) You got too much risk. Have you seen how much debt you have? You're not playing it safe. Let let me help you. I wouldn't be sleeping at night. (laughs) (laughs) You look a bit stressed. (sighs) I'm more than happy to buy that property. (laughs) But yes, that was that was my that was my third one. Great point. I like it for number three. Yes. Yours. What was right. yours? The last one. All right. Cash in a bank account isn't wasted. So Ray Dalio came out across this. Uh, maybe it was this year. Might have been late last year, where he said cash is trash, and he came out with this thesis that if you have money in a bank account, the inflation is just going to eat it. 
And it's if you've got too much cash, that could be the worst position to be in. And uh, mathematically, I could see if you're comparing assets like you know cash versus other things, you, you could understand his rationale and logic behind that. You really could. However, what we didn't hear Ray say at all was that, do you know what? Cash buys you time and opportunity. So Uh if a great investment comes up, your ability to actually capture that investment, you need cash. And I, I look at it and go, across this year, I almost was looking at the cash I was accumulating and just thinking of, well, this is being inflated away. Like we need to think of ways to deploy our capital. We need to be thinking of that. Only to look at it and go, do you know what? I sleep better at night with more cash. Do you know what? I really enjoy being in a position where I can look at the market now and then when great buying opportunities come up, I can seize them more of the mm. Howard Marks style I would make as well. And then the other value is is that when you've got a larger volume of cash available, you can be more calm and patient and not have to make emotionally driven decisions. Where someone that has no cash um, doesn't have those same luxuries. Just like a vulture. Well, I will say is like in taking this lesson on board from here is like that's how I'm thinking of it. Like I know we've already done the uh, episode that is like, you know, what we we achieved across this year. But this year isn't over. At the time of recording, which I won't give away the date, I'm out looking for opportunities right now. There may actually still be some wind left in this year. But um, I just appreciate the value of cash and particularly as a business owner because you've got other ways to deploy cash as well. And I think it's a a different paradigm than I had on the value of it previously. I think – one of the one of the benefits to that as well is I'm going to throw a term that I haven't thought about too much out there. I'm going to call it like active cash and passive cash. Like one of the benefits, like if if I, for example, had cash sitting in a bank account that wasn't being offset against debt or wasn't doing much, it might not be the right for me. But it also applies to the stage, I will say as well, right? Where if I'm looking out for to go get the thing. When you're in a position like yourself, we got a decent amount of debt and you have a decent amount of cash, the cash can actually offset the interest rate on the debt, which means it's, uh, it's what I'm going to call like active cash as opposed to a scenario of someone who doesn't have debt where it's passive cash where it's just sitting in a bank account. Can your- I do a counter to that? Yeah, I, I get where you're coming from and you're, you're suggesting the idea of like if you've got offset accounts, you can put cash in an offset account to offset it on property. But I don't think you've done the rounds on what you get paid in interest if you just – put money in a bank account that was a high interest bank account at the moment. And I would think of it that you can't throw them in the same bucket. I would look at this right now and say, even if let's pretend you can get 5% in uh, a savings account right now, which I believe you can, there are actually savings accounts. Yeah. Yeah. Even that with inflation at 8%, right? So, you know, you're losing 3% on it. The value of the other things I mentioned outweighs it. It does. Yeah, wow. I don't think you have to have debt for that to be the same thing. So understandably, an offset account might get you 6% on a mortgage potentially. So there might be some incurred value. But what about like sleep at night factor? Totally. What about your ability? There's an asset that was 100 grand and it's on sale for 80 grand. You're buying 20 grand under, right? 
it's that type of flexibility and um, things which I think are underweight here. Yes, I can. I completely acknowledge it's losing purchasing power as cash. I'm also not exist, uh, suggesting that cash is a strategy I'm going to deploy for myself where I'm just going to save cash. Right? The end game is I just want to have a mountain of cash and draw it down. But these other factors have changed my view particularly strongly on this. Especially, so great point on the uh, interest on a bank account. By the way, I haven't even looked at what uh, the latest interest rates on bank accounts are. So there you go. Um, but the second point to you is it doesn't, just because cash helps now, it doesn't mean that it's going to be, a, it helps never. <laughs> like it's not like it is an investment thesis of just stack cash, just stack cash, just stack cash. It's more, if I'm interpreting it correctly, it's more that having cash is not a bad thing as long as you understand why it's there, which is the liquidity, the opportunity chasing. But if you're always sitting there stacking cash whilst not looking for opportunities and that's like your strategy over 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years, yes, I can understand where people would sit there and say, hey, cash is probably not going to be the best strategy compared to using it to find opportunities. So I actually like that one. I think it's... It is definitely counterintuitive. I'll give you a quote right now. Macquarie Bank, 4.25%. And then I know some of my mortgages are at about 525 So see, it's only yeah, a 1% difference tiny now. difference. Tiny Absolutely difference. tiny. So uh, I again, to the point of it, of just thinking that it has a different utility. But that is my Sorry. third lesson for the year. Dude, I, I, like, I like this one. Uh, dude, we're going to have to do it. I'm going to have to put a summary of like the six points. And for anyone listening to this as well, I want to know what your investment lessons have been for 2022. Uh, I think us sharing this really helps other people analyze what they have learned throughout the year because these are the things that as a business owner who was also investing to create wealth inside and outside your business, just being aware of these lessons helps you be better and so and also helps you avoid making the same mistakes over and over again like I'm sure you don't have to go through the painful cycles that I mean as I go through this and look at our ones here I'm like yeah we've had some pain on these ones this year Grant you don't have to copy us (laughs) we've lost some money as well um but it also should help prompt like your own review your own lessons learned as well where you go oh you know what I felt like I learned the same thing at the same time um so just, yeah, reply to the email, jump in the Facebook group, let us know exactly what you have learnt and the biggest investment lessons. I just want to say thank you very much to yourself, Charlie. And for anyone who is not on the newsletter, head over to businessandinvesting.com forward slash newsletter, put in your details and subscribe. Charlie, I will say, such a good domain name. Such a good domain name. Yeah, we're starting oh, no. to get compliments on it. I dig it. <laughs> thank you very much for joining us and we look forward to catching you on the next episode of Business and Investing with Grant and Charlie.